and then we're going to watch the, the fourth video that w in this series that we've been watching, and, and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and spend some time together um, walking through it. But if you would, please stand with me as I read. This is Hosea chapter 3, man, and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not, you shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterwards, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. You can take a seat.
pray together. Lord, we thank you that we thank you that you're our friend. We thank you that you have sent Jesus, that he is our redeemer, that he comes and finds us and buys us back again and again and again. I pray today that this time that we have as we look at this text would be more than an intellectual uh, activity, that it would be a time when we connect with your heart, that you come and you sit with us and that at your feet we would be reminded and renewed in our love for you and that you would speak to us in deep ways, that you would heal us, that you would break chains that are on us today, that you would completely set us free. In Jesus' name, amen. So in this passage, it's, it's, it's got some, some really powerful imagery, and I think the video captures that pretty well. But I want to share a story with you as we get started today. Um, pastor Randy Frazee, who was the pastor of Pantigo Bible Church for a while, he's now uh, on staff with Max Lucado at his church down in San Antonio. He, he says this. He says, I remember a time that I went into a man's office and I saw a picture of this man and his wife and I told him, nice picture. And I turned around and looked at the man and he had tears in his eyes. And so I asked him, I said, why are you crying? And he said, well, there was a time in our marriage when I was unfaithful to my wife and she found out about it. She was so deeply hurt and so injured that she threatened to leave me and take the kids with her. And I was so overwhelmed with the mistake that I had made that I shut down the affair. I went to my wife in total brokenness And knowing that I didn't deserve her forgiveness, I asked for it, and she forgave me. And this picture was taken shortly after that. And when I see this picture, I see a woman who forgave me. I see a woman who was willing to stand with me again. So when you see this picture and you say, nice picture, I see this picture and I see my life given back to me again. My life given back to me again. That is a beautiful phrase because it captures a beautiful reality, redemption. And whether or not you know it, whether or not I know it, we all need our lives to be given back to us again. We all need redemption. And thankfully, God offers to give us our lives back again. He offers this through His redeeming love And today I want to talk about how does God's redeeming love offer to give us our lives back again? How does God's redeeming love offer to give us our lives back again? If you have a Bible, go ahead and look at Hosea chapter 3 with me. If you need one, there's, there's a blue one in the back of the pew in front of you. And so far in Hosea, in chapter 1, we saw God's covenant love. And then in chapter 2, we saw God's tough love in the first half and his tender love in the second half. Today, we're going to see God's redeeming love, specifically 
three aspects of how it offers to give us our lives back again. And then we'll, we'll ask ourselves a few questions in response. But let's look at Hosea chapter 3, verse 1 together. It says, And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So God comes to Hosea and he says, not, he doesn't say, go and love your wife again. He says, go and love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. You see, Gomer has so broken her covenant with Hosea that God doesn't even refer to her as his wife, but as an adulteress. Sometime after these kids were born, you remember them? All the weird, crazy names, Jezreel, No Mercy, Not My People. After those kids were born, we don't know exactly when, but Hosea, I'm sorry, Gomer hit the road. She just up and left. And God knows Hosea's pain. He knows that there are deep, deep wounds in his heart. But what does he tell him? He says, go and love her again. It's crazy when you think about it. Sometimes when we read the Bible, we kind of gloss over it and we read it like a science book. Read it like a story. Imagine if you're Hosea and God comes and tells you this. You would think God had eaten something crazy or been smoking something. This is nuts. Why in the world would God tell Hosea to go love this woman who is a complete adulteress who whores around on him again and again and again. Why would he do that? The second half of verse 1 answers that. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. He tells them to do this because this is how God loves Israel. Even though they are utterly unfaithful, even though they forsake him constantly and engage in temple prostitution. That's what the raisin cakes are about. God doesn't really care if we eat raisins. What he cares about is when we do things and engage in things that are in idolatrous worship. That's what that's about. You see, these raisin cakes were eaten at the temples of the Baals, used as an aphrodisiac, kind of as a little pregame, a little little party before they would engage in cult prostitution. But in the midst of all their unfaithfulness, in the midst of this gross immorality, God still loves his people, and he still seeks them out even so. And so God comes to Hosea, and he says, go and find your wife. He doesn't say your wife, but go and find that woman that's supposed to be at home with you, but is sleeping with other men, and she's in the arms of another Man, right now, you go and find her and you bring her home. And he does that because God's love, his nature, his redeeming love seeks us out. It seeks us out. Even in our sin and our slavery, we are like Israel, we are like Gomer. We run around and we run to all kinds of things thinking that they will satisfy us. And God comes, he doesn't wait for us to get our act together. He hits the road and he comes to find us. He seeks us out. 
Philippians 2 teaches that Jesus left heaven. He left the perfect harmony of a relationship with the Father and the Spirit to come to this wretched place that we can't wait to leave. He came here on his own to come and find us. And so that's what we know is that God's redeeming love seeks us out. It's crazy, it doesn't make sense, but it is true. And so what we need to understand today is that God is looking for you, and he is looking for me. And will we believe that he is seeking us out? Let's look at the second verse. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver, and a homer and a lethic of barley... Yeah, and a homer and a lethic of barley. So I'm trying to keep, keep track of the time. So as ridiculous as God's command is, he, he comes and tells him, go and love Gomer, even though she's running around on you. What's crazier is that Hosea actually obeys. He doesn't argue. He doesn't try to talk God out of it. He obeys. He really obeys. And he doesn't just leave and go find her and it's not like she's just, you know, he walks into to this guy's house and grabs her and brings her home. He has to buy her back. He has to buy her back. So I want, I want everybody to, to, to go on a journey with me. We're going we're gonna to go back to what it must have been like that day. This text, that one verse, it's just a few words, but it's capturing a scene that if we don't go and kind of remo- really put ourselves there, I think we'll miss some of the thrust and the power of this passage, okay? So I want you to imagine this with me. You're gathered around in the town square, and everyone is looking, waiting to see what will be the first item auctioned off. You've gathered at the town auction, and you're there waiting to see how will the auction begin today. The first slave that they pull up on the platform is a naked woman who looks ragged, worn up, and used. And the auctioneer starts the bidding. He says, the first piece of property for sale today is this female slave. I know that she's less than desirable, well past her prime, so we'll begin the bidding at five shekels. Meanwhile, the crowd around you begins to chatter about this woman, and one man asks, Is that Gomer? To which another replies, Yeah, that's the town whore, all right. And the first says, Just about every lecherous man in this town has known her. Why would anybody pay anything for that tramp? The second replies, I sure wouldn't. You know, believe it or not, she used to be married once. And the other guy, married to who? Who would marry her? Well, and he said, believe it or not, an old preacher. What was his name? And as they try to remember the preacher's name, out of the corner of your eye, what do you see? You see a man walking up to the edge of the crowd with a donkey. And on the back of that donkey, he's got a huge sack of grain. About the time that he enters the circle, enters, or enters the crowd, the man remembers. Hosea, Hosea, that was that fool's name, that old preacher. They even had three kids, and we all wondered who their daddy was. 
So the bids begin to rise little by little, and they plateau at nine shekels, which is about a third of what a slave went for in those days, 30 shekels. So the auctioneer yells out. He's kind of getting frustrated. Come on now, this woman is worth more than nine shekels. Can I get ten? No one says anything. When suddenly, that man who walked up with that donkey with the grain on his back yells out, I will give you 15 shekels and nine bushels of barley. And the auctioneer can't believe it, and so he immediately says, sold. No once, twice, just sold. And so the slave stands there on the platform, waiting for her new owner to come up, grab her by the arm, jerk her down, and pull her away. But much to her surprise, her new owner doesn't do that. Instead, he gently comes up onto the block where she is standing. And he gently wraps a smooth cloth around her shoulders, covering her naked body. And his strong hands tenderly touch her. Gomer, he says. It has been months if not years, since she has heard this voice. Gomer. And she turns around, and with astonishment, she looks into the eyes of her former husband. Hosea, is it really you? Yes, replies Hosea. As tears begin streaming down her face like a waterfall, he embraces her and he holds her head close to his chest and says into her ear softly, I have come to find you. I have come to buy you back and to take you home. And he pauses and says these words. I love you and I have always loved you. You're my wife, and we're going home. So they step off the platform. He leads her back to the donkey that he has left off to your side. He helps her get on the donkey's back, and they set off in the direction from which they came. What we need to know today is that God's redeeming love doesn't just seek us out. God's redeeming love also sets us free. You see, you and I were standing on a platform naked. You and I had been sold into slavery. And Satan, the auctioneer, stands on the platform holding us in bondage. And the bids from the crowd are our attempts to set ourselves free. We yell out, I'll go to church. I'll give my money away. I'll stop drinking. Fill in the blank with whatever it is you try to do to overcome your own junk. 
But Jesus comes in, riding the back of a donkey, and he says, I will give my life. I will die for you. He doesn't pay shekels. He doesn't play, pay barley. He sheds blood. He breaks his own body so that he can buy us back. Today's New Testament reading, Galatians 4, 3 through 5, basically what, what it says is that God sent Jesus to redeem those who were born under the law, and what that means is, is we're trapped under the law because they can't obey it, and they're condemned by it. He comes so that we might be adopted, received as sons into his family. I heard something this weekend that was really awesome. It's really powerful to me because I am adopted. I hope they have this law here in Texas, and you'll understand whenever I get there in just a second. But one of the speakers at this conference I went to said that in Georgia, he found this out because he, one of his younger siblings is, is adopted, and his parents called him to say, hey, we've made some edits to our will. He said his ears perked up whenever his dad said that. And uh, in Georgia, where they're from, you cannot write an adopted child out of your will. You can't. And when this text says that we're adopted as sons, God will not and he cannot write us out because we are in Jesus and he will never write his own son out. Our place in the family of God when we're bought back is secure because we are in him. We are adopted. Adopted. God's redeeming love sets us free. The question is, will you trust that Christ has paid the price to set you free? Let's look at verses 3 through 5. It says this, And I said to her, You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without effort or household gods. And afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come in Fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. So on their way back, as, as Gomer is riding the donkey and Hosea is walking next to it, they have a little chat, and he says something along the lines of, hey, this time you're going to remain at home. You're going to be faithful to me as I will be to you. He promises that he will be to her. And then God explains what all of this means by talking about Israel and talking about how this applies to them. And he says, really, what, what this verse is teach, these verses are teaching is, as we know, they're going to go into exile. And when they're in exile, they're not going to have their own rulers. They're not going to have their own religious practices. All those things that they use, all these things that it lists, those were things that they used in worship of the Baals. They're not even going to have access to these things that they've worshipped with. There's no more raisin cakes in captivity. And so, then it says, though, that this will not last forever, but that God will bring them home. And then we get this really strange reference. As you're reading through, uh, it says that they will seek David their king. And this can't be the same David that fought Goliath. This isn't that David, because this is much later. And the sentence, it gives us a key into who this David is whenever we read the last phrase of the entire passage. What does it say? 
They will come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. Today's Old Testament reading is 2 Samuel 7, and I want to read it real quick. Find that, just a second. 2 Samuel 7, 8 through 16, says this. Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, remember that, we talked about that last week, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, this is key, he's talking to David, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure before, forever before me, your throne shall be established forever. That reading, this Hosea passage, is talking about Jesus. It's talking about his kingdom, his throne that reigns forever, that he will be on forever. And so what this text is saying is that what God is doing for Israel, what Hosea is doing for Gomer, is that his redeeming love doesn't just come and seek us out. It doesn't just come and set us free. It stays with us. It does not run out. It never fails us. It never leaves us. Think about this. At Jesus' baptism, we know that the heavens are parted. The Father says, you know, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And then we get this really cool, I would have loved to be there for this, I wonder what it was like. But supposedly the Spirit descends upon him like a dove, and it says that it stayed or it remained on him. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God never remained on someone. It was not, they were not indwelt by the Spirit. But it says that the Spirit stayed on Jesus. And then, if you read the New Testament, what you read is that believers are indwelt by Jesus, that Jesus gives us the Spirit. And what that Spirit, why I'm, why I'm sharing this with you, is that is the sign of the fact that God's love stays with us. The fact that He would give us His Spirit lets us know that He doesn't just come and seek us out. He doesn't just come to set us free. His love stays with us. We are His. We're adopted. We're in. We're not leaving. We're not going anywhere. Our place in God's kingdom, in Christ's rule and reign, is secure. And he is coming to bring us where he is. God's redeeming love stays with us. 
This whole story really is a picture of the redemption that God wants to bring in your life, that God wants to bring in my life. He longs to take your heart. He longs to take my heart. He longs to take the places where even those of us today who are believers are still living in slavery and shame and transform us in and those places in our hearts into places of freedom and worship. You see, you and I still need to be redeemed. We've ultimately been set free. We don't have to obey the master of the flesh anymore, but we need God to free us again and again and again, just like Gomer did. So today, whether or not you know Jesus or not, the question is, are you going to accept God's offer to buy and bring your your life back to you? Are you going to accept that? Are you going to believe that Jesus has sought you out? Are you going to trust that he has paid the price to set you free? And are you going to accept that his love stays with you and you are his forever? Those are the questions we got to ask ourselves today. I have to say this quickly because I'm about out of time, but one of the other things that's really key for us to know is that when God comes and redeems us, he doesn't just redeem us for it to stop with us. He redeems us and brings us into his family, and then he sends us out to go and get more people and bring those people into his family to be messengers of redemption. Have any of you, maybe you've heard this phrase before. There's a phrase that goes around, you might hear it in like a recovery circle or, or if you've read anything counseling related, but there's this little phrase that says, Hurt people hurt people. It's just the idea that when you've been hurt, you pass that on to others. Well, I think in the economy of God, there's a different saying, and it goes like this. Redeemed people redeem people. And we're not the redeemer, but we tell them about him. And so what I want to ask you today is, will you help others hear God's offer to buy their life back again? Will you go and share the wonderful truth and demonstrate with your life that there is a true, real offer on the table to be redeemed forever? With, with Easter coming up, I want to I give you a challenge that I think would be a way that we could all possibly take the redemption that we have and share it with the world around us. So, Easter's coming up on April 20th. That's three Sundays from today. And I think this would be a great opportunity for us to live this out by doing something very simple. I want to encourage you, I want to encourage all of us to bring one person who does not know Jesus on Easter Sunday. One person. And here's how I want to encourage you to figure out what that's going to look like. What if, what if each one of us Decide today, I want, I want you to think of three people you know that don't know Jesus. If you don't know three people, start praying that you meet some people who don't. <laughs> might need to broaden your circle. But think of three people you know that don't know Jesus. And would you commit today to pray for them by name? And then invite them. Tell them, I go to this place where... I meet with my family on Sunday mornings, and I think you might like it. 
We do some weird things, but, you know, it's cool. Um, but I've found something. I've found that my life is increasingly being changed, and I have to tell you about it. And then, who knows, maybe one of those three people will take you up on your offer. Who knows? But I would love to see a packed house. I would love this room to be filled with people, and not because we can talk about, oh, look at that Sunday that we had a bunch of people here, but because your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers and my friends and my neighbors and my coworkers need their lives to be bought back and brought and given to them. They need this. They need to be redeemed. And the reality is that God has placed us on our streets, in our offices, in our schools, so that we would share that truth with them. So would you think of three people, begin praying for them by name, and how awesome would it be if each of us had one person sitting next to us on a pew who maybe for the first time found out that God loves them, that he is seeking them out, that he has paid the price to bring them back to him, back to the family that they were created to be a part of, and that his love will never leave them. I would love that. Let's pray. God, thank you for your redeeming love. Thank you for the fact that you seek us out, you set us free.